This morning, I am continuing in my sermon series that I've entitled Revival. We've been going through this since January, basically. Uh, and this sermon series was born kind of at the beginning of last year, actually, the beginning of 2021, where God started to really challenge me at looking at the gap, basically, between everything that he had promised, everything that he has for us, and how I'm living and how our church is living, and, and just how much more he has for us. And really challenging myself, am I just willing to be complacent the rest of my life and just kind of live with this when God has promised this? And so the goal with this sermon series is truly to challenge us to go deeper with God and the hopes of inspiring revival, a deeper life of God in the midst of our church and in our lives as well. Um, Earlier in this sermon series, I had mentioned this. I've put this up every week, basically. The two preconditions of revival, according to Richard Loveless in his book, Dynamics of Spiritual Renewal. He said, whenever you look through history and see revival that has broken out, uh, typically you see these two things at play. An awareness, an increased awareness of the holiness of God, and an increased awareness of the depth of our sin. Again, that gap, basically, right? As you get a, a glimpse of the transcendent perfection of God, and of his standards, and of his expectations, his promises, all of that, and you also see your own sin, how far short you fall, and how, for, how far short we fall. You look out in the world, and you see how, how messed up the world is in comparison to what God has promised. It leads to this deeper prayer, this deeper hunger and thirst for more of God that leads to revival. And so, if nothing else, when it comes to revival, pray for these two things in your life, in our church, in our world, for a deeper awareness of the holiness of God and a deeper awareness of the depth of our sin. And few places in the Bible highlight that more than the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, Jesus' sermon begins in Matthew 5. And so I've been going through the Beatitudes, the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, over the past seven weeks and up, up to the last Beatitude this morning. The Beatitudes describe the blessed life, the one who is favored by God, approved by God. And so let me go through quickly again. This is where we've been so far. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. And today we finish up with this beatitude. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who are before you. It's a real pick-me-up, isn't it, this morning? It's an odd verse, isn't it? The juxtaposition of blessed are those who are persecuted, that God is saying, or Jesus is saying, God's favor is upon those who are insulted and slandered and mistreated for my sake. Again, all of these beatitudes are very countercultural, but this in particular, blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness. And it's a strange juxtaposition when you think about the previous beatitude. The previous beatitude was about being a peacemaker. And you think about following up, talking about being a peacemaker with being persecuted, you you might think, well, how do those things fit together? After all, you know, who would persecute Mr. Rogers, right? If you're going to be a peacemaker, you wouldn't expect maybe to be persecuted. But then again, as we look at this, you're going to understand why. So in order to understand this passage, we need to answer three questions. What is persecution? 
why will we be persecuted and why should we rejoice at persecution? If we're going to understand why Jesus said, blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, we need to understand these things. What's persecution? Why will we be persecuted and why should we rejoice at persecution? So first and foremost, what is persecution? He says in the middle of verse 11 there, blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. And persecution essentially is just hostility, right? It's mistreatment and hostility because of your faith. Jesus is saying, blessed are you when people are hostile towards you and mistreat you because of your association with me. Blessed are you when they insult you because you belong to me. When they mistreat you, when they slander your name because you belong to me. They will insult you. They'll persecute you. They'll falsely say all kinds of evils against you. And in fact, the early Christians, maybe you weren't aware of some of the things that they were accused of by the Romans. They were accused of being cannibals because word got out that they ate the flesh and drank the blood of someone when they gathered together. They were accused of incest because they called each other brothers and sisters and then married each other. They were accused of atheism because they did not worship the Roman gods, the Greek gods. All these things they were falsely accused of and slandered. So again, these are sobering words to end the Beatitudes with. That we're going to come poor in spirit, we mourn our sin, we hunger and thirst for righteousness, all these things. Then he says at the end, blessed are you who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. That you're going to be persecuted. You're going to experience opposition and mistreatment if you follow me. Now, let me be clear. Not all opposition that you face is persecution. Not every time that someone mistreats you or slanders you is because you belong to Jesus. It's, sometimes it's helpful, again, to think of the extremes. You know, there's two extremes to the continuum, and God's truth is usually somewhere in the middle. On one end of the extreme would be those who see every single opposition as persecution. Every time that someone mistreats or slanders them, they think it's because of their faith, because they belong to Jesus. Let's be honest. Sometimes people don't like you because you're acting like a jerk. Right? Sometimes people are mistreating you because of how you are behaving. They're offended because of what you say, not because you're a Christian, not because of your faith, just because you're a jerk. 1 Peter 4 puts it this way. If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you're blessed. For the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. If you suffer, it should be not as a murderer or a thief or any other kind of criminal, but even as a meddler. However, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name. So Peter makes a distinction there. If you're suffering because you belong to Christ, you're following him and you're persecuted, you're blessed. If you're suffering because of something you did wrong, you're not blessed. Okay? Sometimes you experience opposition and persecution and mistreatment for things that have nothing to do with Jesus. Sometimes it's because of your political views. Sometimes it's because of your odd behaviors, maybe. It's not always because of persecution, because you bear the name of Christ. So that's one end of the continuum, those who think everything is persecution because of their faith. But on the other end of the continuum would be those who think that everyone should like them. And if someone is offended by you, then you must be doing something wrong. These are the people who believe that Jesus... Following Jesus means you should be kind and loving and never cause anyone to feel offended. And so if someone insults you or slanders you or thinks thinks you're mean, then you respond by feeling like you need to change your behavior. You must be doing something wrong. Because after all, a Christian is someone who's nice and kind and good and loving. 
Jesus would say this to you. Woe to you when all men speak well of you, for that is how their fathers treated the false prophets. Do we have any people pleasers in the house? Yes. I bear myself. I'm, I'm among them. This is, this is the kind of sermon I need to hear. I instinctively think if someone's offended at what I believe and what I say, that I've done something wrong and I need to kind of tone it down or water it down or, or find a way of making sure that people don't think less of me. And here's Jesus saying, listen, if you follow me, you are going to be persecuted. People will slander you. They will think ill of you. And if everyone speaks well of you, then maybe you're a false prophet. Maybe you're not actually speaking the truth. Remember that we shared this verse last week about the false prophets from Jeremiah. They dress the wound of my people as though it were not serious. Peace, peace, they say, when there is no peace. That's the people pleaser, right? The people pleaser is like, let's smooth everything over. Everything's fine. Everything's fine. Let's not rock the boat. Let's not point out any sin. Let's not point out anything that's wrong with anyone. Let's just make sure everyone thinks well of me. Everyone loved the false prophets because all they did was come and they'd say, everything's great. God is pleased with you. God loves you and approves of you and accepts you as you are. And then someone like Jeremiah would show up on the scene or Isaiah and they would say, repent. The direction you are going is going to lead you to destruction. You need to turn from your sin and turn to God. And what did they do to Jeremiah and Isaiah and everyone else? They would stone them. They would hate them. They would kill them. They would persecute them. Those were the true prophets because they were not afraid to speak God's truth and they were opposed and mistreated as a result. The false prophets just said, everything's great. God loves you just as you are. He accepts you just as you are. You don't need to change a thing. So Jesus is telling us that the real Christ follower is not going to be liked by everyone, is not going to be praised by everyone. There will be people who will insult you, slander you, mistreat you, and harass you if you are living faithfully according to God. So, if you're the type who thinks you need to please everyone, take this to heart. Following Jesus means you're not going to please everyone. Maybe that means that you're walking in fear of the approval of the crowd, right? You're walking in fear of the, of the opinion of others, or you're looking for the approval of the crowd more than you're looking for the approval of God. But then to return to the other side of the continuum, if you're offending people, make sure you're asking yourself, am I offending people because of Christ in me, or am I offending people just because I'm a jerk and I'm acting like a jerk? So that's the ends of the continuum. Somewhere in the middle is what Jesus is saying here. If you're faithful to me, people will take offense at you because of Christ in you. So that's persecution. It's this hostility this mistreatment because you bear the name of Christ, because you're following Jesus. So why will we be persecuted? Again, go back to the passage. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Sometimes... Sometimes you're persecuted because there's something about how you're living that is an indictment of people's sin. It kind of calls people. I ever, ever had anyone who's like, you know, oh, I should stop swearing around you because you're a Christian, you know? Some people feel like they need to like watch their behavior because you call yourself a Christian. It's that kind of 
you know, conviction. It always feels awkward for us, I know, when that happens. But there's that, that conviction sometimes that happens when people watch someone who is trying to live their lives to please God, to honor God. And it just kind of, you know, you feel like the curve breaker. You know, they kind of just don't like the one who, breaks, who kind of spoils the curve. Sometimes your conduct is an indictment of people's sin. Think of the Pharisees, right? The Pharisees, Jesus shows up on the scene. The Pharisees think they're great. Jesus shows up and they hate him because he exposes them and exposes their sin, exposes that they're not as great as they thought they were. First Peter 4, 1 through 4, Therefore, since Christ suffered in the body, in his body, arm yourselves also with the same attitude because he who has suffered in his body is done with sin. As a result, he does not live the rest of his earthly life for evil human desires but rather for the will of God. For you have spent enough time in the past doing what pagans choose to do, living in debauchery, lust, drunkenness, orgies, carousing, and detestable idolatry. And they think it's strange that you do not plunge with them into the same flood of dissipation and the heap abuse on you. I don't know if you come from a background that, you know, is, some, is similar to this, where maybe you used to live a certain way with friends and now you've decided not to and now they kind of see you as odd slander you, mistreat you maybe because of that. So what Peter is saying, listen, when you're following Jesus, sometimes it will feel like an indictment on others who are not following God or not living uh, for God. And Jesus says, this is to be expected of a follower of Jesus. 1 Timothy 3, 10 through 12, Paul writes, you however know all about my teaching, my way of life, my purpose, faith, patience, love, endurance, persecutions, sufferings, What kind of things happened to me in Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra, the persecutions I endured, yet the Lord rescued me from all of them. In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. So sometimes as your life goal is to follow Jesus, it will kind of have this effect on those around you, and they will want to slander you, mistreat you, say all kinds of things about you as a result. Second reason you might be persecuted is because the gospel message, the message of Jesus, is one of repentance from sin and faith in Jesus. If this is your main message, some may take offense to that. You know, again, last week I differentiated between peacemakers and peaceful people. Peaceful people are those who are like, you know, don't want to rock the boat. They're easygoing people. They go along with the crowd. But peacemakers wade into battle to bring peace. They're willing to confront sin in order to bring peace. That's why peacemakers will be persecuted. Because confronting sin is not always something that people enjoy. If I'm going to bring someone to peace with God, I have to go through sin to get there, right? To call someone to turn from sin to faith in Jesus. Some people might not like that. You might experience persecution, insult, rejection because of that. Again, the false prophets, as I said, the false prophets were the ones who said, peace, peace, you're fine just the way you are. Just keep living the way you are. God's blessing and favor is on you. And then the true prophets, Isaiah and Jeremiah would come on the scene and say, no, don't listen to the false prophets. They're prophesying lies. God's favor is not on you the way you're living. You need to turn from your sin to faith in him. The message is one of repentance from sin and faith in Jesus. Some of you might think, you know, Jesus was just a master of loving people. And that's, he's just, you know, he was just all about love. Yes, but again, love was not just, hey, let's just love everyone just the way they are and leave them that way. Jesus was a master of loving people enough to put his finger on the things they needed to repent of, right? 
the things they needed to give up and turn from. When the rich young ruler came to him, it said, Jesus looked at him and loved him and then said, go sell all your possessions and follow me. When the woman caught in adultery came before him, he said, I don't condemn you. Now go and leave your life of sin. When he ran into the woman at the well, he said, call your husband and come back. He said, you're right, you've had five husbands. You know, again, he had his way of loving people and at the same time putting his finger on that thing that they needed to turn from. They needed to lay down to God. John 15, if the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. Remember the words I spoke to you. No servant is greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. If they obeyed my teaching, they will obey yours also. They will treat you this way because of my name, for they do not know the one who sent me. If you think Jesus is just all about just love, 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 the way that we conceptualize love sometimes, just kind of live and let live, let everyone do as they want to do, then you've missed the point of who Jesus is. That's not who Jesus is. His is a love that calls out sin and calls people to experience the fullness of God by repenting of sin. So, let's get specific, shall we? Consider this. Jesus said this in John 14, 6. I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If I understand this verse correctly, Jesus is saying that the only way to God is through him. He's not saying there are many paths to God in this verse, right? He's not saying live and let live. He's not saying to each his own. He's saying our problem is not that we need to try harder. Our problem is that there is sin that has separated us from a holy God. And the only way to deal with that sin problem is that Jesus came and lived the perfect life we couldn't live, died a sacrificial death on the cross in our place, rose from the dead to conquer sin and death so that all who put their faith in him will be saved from their sin, will be restored to a right relationship with God. And so he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He points to himself. There's no way to the Father except through me. Do you take offense at that? Can you imagine how some people might take offense at that? It's an offensive statement. It's an exclusive statement. It's not saying that all paths lead to God and you just live however you want to live. It's saying, I am the way to God. We preach a message of repentance from sin and faith in Jesus that saves us, and that is an offensive, exclusive message. It's open to everyone. There's no sin that's too great, no one who's too far from God who can't be saved, right? But it's an exclusive message. How about this verse, 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 10? Do you not know that the wicked will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor male prostitutes, nor homosexual offenders, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. How about that one? If I read this verse correctly... Paul here lists some sins, some 
people who are going in certain directions, he says, that will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. And among them, he uses this phrase that's translated homosexual offenders, which you could translate it as men who have sex with men. Probably a more accurate translation. If I read the Bible correctly, I could be wrong, but if I read the Bible correctly, it seems the consistent witness of the scriptures that God designed male and female for marriage. He designed sex to be in the context of that marriage. And that everything outside of those bounds is against his design. Are you offended by that? Can you imagine people who would be offended by that? And again, if you heard me correctly in the beginning, there is a difference between holding a belief that God designed marriage to be between a man and a woman and God designed sex to be in that context and being a jerk about it, right? There's a difference between holding to a belief that you believe is taught by Jesus and proclaimed by the Bible and being someone who is offensive about it, you know, mistreating people because of it. There's a big difference between the two. But the point is that if you believe this is what Jesus, the Bible, teaches, guess what? You're going to be persecuted, insulted, slandered, harassed, all of the above, if you dare to say that, if you dare to believe that. I am, as I said, a people pleaser. That last two minutes that I just said is not easy for me to say because I, at my heart, just want to live and let live, right? I just want everyone to just do as they please. But that's not the part of me that's faithful to God. That's the part of me that's afraid of the crowd. That's the part of me that wants the approval of others. If I'm faithful to Jesus, if I'm faithful to what I read in the scriptures, then I'm going to say some things and believe some things that are contrary to my culture. And it's going to mean that some people are not going to like me. Some people are going to think I'm mean or rude or whatever. And I need to be okay with that. I need to keep my eyes on Jesus. That's why we're going to be persecuted. Partly because we have a message of repentance and faith in Jesus. Not a message of live and let live. Not a message of to each his own. So why should we rejoice at persecution? That again, why, why, do we, why are we happy? Why are we happy that we're being insulted and mocked and slandered? I mean, you read this, right? Blessed are you. Rejoice and be glad, he says. Rejoice and be glad. In other words, you know, don't sulk that people don't like you. Don't pretend you enjoy it. Don't grin and bear it. But rejoice at persecution. Why? Why are we supposed to rejoice at persecution? First and foremost, it means this. It means your faith is genuine. If you are being persecuted because of your faith, because you belong to Jesus, because you're following him, then it means your faith is genuine. First Peter 1, 6 through 7. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine. It may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. There's something about going through that kind of persecution and suffering that reveals to you your faith is genuine, that you were not afraid to suffer for the name of Jesus. 
right? When you had to choose between your safety and your comfort and Jesus' honor and glory, you chose Jesus' honor and glory. Regardless of how you were treated, it shows your faith is genuine, that you're not just in it for yourself. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who knew a little bit about suffering, he was a pastor who died at the hand of the Nazis for his resistance to Hitler. He said, This suffering then is the badge of true discipleship. The disciple is not above his master. Discipleship means allegiance to the suffering Christ, and it is therefore not surprising that Christians should be called upon to suffer. In fact, it is a joy and a token of his grace. Suffering is the badge of true discipleship. Those who are willing to choose honoring God over their own comfort, over the approval of others, says that's true discipleship. Hebrews 12, 1 through 3, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. He says, listen, as you're in this world, if you're trying to follow him, you will be persecuted, you will be opposed, you'll be mocked, you'll be slandered, you'll be mistreated. And so he says, listen, fix your eyes on Jesus. Look at him, because he was mistreated and persecuted and slandered and mocked more than you ever will be. But he endured it all for the joy set before him, the joy of having you restored to a right relationship with him. So fix your eyes on him so that when you experience opposition, you won't grow weary and lose heart. The early disciples were a great example of that. His speech persuaded them. They called the apostles in and had them flogged. And then they ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. The apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. It's hard to wrap your head around that, some of you probably, isn't it? Like they just got flogged and they're going back rejoicing because God has counted them worthy to walk in the footsteps of their Savior, Jesus. To give their lives for the salvation of others the way Jesus gave his life. So why are we supposed to rejoice in suffering? It means your faith is genuine. Secondly, it means you're a threat to Satan. What do I mean by that? Think of Acts chapter 19. It's a very interesting passage. Some Jews who went around driving out evil spirits tried to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who were demon-possessed. They would say, In the name of Jesus, whom Paul preaches, I command you to come out. Seven sons of Siva, a Jewish chief priest, were doing this. And one day the evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know, and I know about Paul, but who are you? And then the man who had the evil spirit jumped on them and overpowered them all. He gave them such a beating that they ran out of the house naked and bleeding. Interesting story there. Jesus I know, and I know Paul, but I don't know you. One of the books I've read along the way often is this book, Leonard Ravenhill, Why Revival Tarries. He talks about this kind of idea. He says, it means that Satan has identified you as a follower of Jesus. He sees you as a threat, and he wants to destroy you. Listen, this is a spiritual battle. Do you understand that? We are in a spiritual battle. Whenever you experience persecution, it's not about people. It's about the spirit behind. It's about the evil spirit behind who wants to destroy you. And if he's coming after you, if he's persecuting you, it's because he knows you and because you're a threat. If you weren't, he would leave you alone. 
I've shared the story before. When I was a youth pastor, I had every week I would have one of the kids come and share a testimony. I asked them to share like either their story of how they came to faith or just a story about who they were. And I had one young man who was not a believer, and he shared his story, and he talked about kind of growing up, and, and, and then he said he, he began to pray. He said he started to pray like a, a, like a month before this testimony. And he said when he started to pray, everything went wrong. He said my, my mom got sick, and my grades were suffering, my cat died, and he started to share. He said, so I stopped praying, and then everything got better. And it was like this reverse testimony. We're like, hmm, okay. But then as, you thought, as I thought about it, I thought about this. I thought about, you know what? When you're not following God, you're not a threat to Satan. You're not a threat to the enemy. But then as he started to turn to God, guess what? Satan had set his sights on him to destroy him, to take him away, to take him out. If you're experiencing persecution, it says rejoice. It means your faith is genuine. It means that you are in the battle and you are a threat to the enemy. So rejoice. You're not a nobody. You are a threat. Ephesians 6. Finally be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything to stand Rejoice that those evil spirits are not going to say, Jesus I know, Paul I know, but I don't know you. No. (laughs) Rejoice that you are known in hell. You are a threat to the enemy. You are part of the battle following Jesus to bring his kingdom to this earth, to bring people back to him. And then lastly, he says, Rejoice because your reward is great. Rejoice and be glad. Because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So rejoice. Here on earth you're going to face insult. But in heaven you will be commended. Here on earth you will be rejected and harassed. But there in heaven you will experience divine acceptance and favor and blessing. Here on earth you will experience punishment. But in heaven you will experience eternal bliss. Rejoice. Because great is your reward in heaven. Fix your eyes not on this world, not on the crowd, not on how people respond to you, but on your Father in heaven. As Paul wrote in Romans, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. It's always good to keep that verse in mind when you're going through the valley, isn't it? Everything you go through out of obedience to Jesus, your present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed. Or as it says in 2 Corinthians 4, 16 to 14, Therefore we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles, I love it how he puts that, our light and momentary troubles, this is the man who was like flogged and shipwrecked and beaten repeatedly. He calls them light and momentary troubles, are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen and temporary what is unseen is eternal. He says, I'm going to fix my eyes on Jesus and what is eternal. I'm not going to fix my eyes on the crowd, on the culture, on what other people say, what other people tell me, how they treat me. I'm going to fix my eyes on Jesus and I'm going to walk in faithfulness to him. And if I'm persecuted, if I'm mistreated, if I'm slandered, abused, any of that, I'll rejoice because it means my faith is genuine. 
means the enemy is trying to destroy me because he knows I'm a threat, but it means my reward is great in heaven. Again, blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Let's pray. Lord, help us to not fall on either end of the continuum, but to walk in obedience to you, not to rejoice that we've been mistreated because we've been a jerk, or not to avoid mistreatment, not to avoid the disapproval of others because of our fear of the crowd and their approval. Help us to walk in faithfulness to you. Jesus, you were hated and persecuted, nailed to a cross. And you tell us that if we are truly following you, it's going to happen to us. We will experience rejection and mistreatment, abuse and slander. So Lord, encourage and strengthen us for the battle. Help us to put on the full armor of God, to walk in prayer, Lord, in your strength, to not be afraid to stand on what you have said, Lord, to speak your truth, to proclaim the gospel of repentance from sin and salvation by faith in Jesus. Thank you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.